Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Karma Club. This is a very special edition for a number of reasons. Um, well, let's take care of one one reason first. Uh, the, the first r reason is that Barbara Annis is in the dentist chair and will not be able to join us today. So that is, that makes it an unusual day. The second reason is that, um, that I have had my own healthcare story this week. So if you will help me ping people into the room, I, I am a living, breathing example of what healthcare in the United States is now like. And what I want is to hear what everyone else thinks it's, it's like, both in the United States and in other places. We all need to educate ourselves more about what we can and cannot expect out of the healthcare system. And what we can expect out of it is very little right now. So we are going to need to take a lot more responsibility on ourselves. And in order to do that, we have to talk openly about healthcare. We usually don't. We usually keep it um, not a secret, but sort of a private uh, a private thing. You know, we don't share our healthcare stories. But last week, I was in a, a really interesting panel, and it was four or five people telling their healthcare stories, and that's what gave me the idea for this room because I thought that. Everybody has a healthcare story. And if we told each other more of our stories, we would have more, more um, collective information to share. And, you know, this may not apply as much in Canada, Heyman, as it does in the United States, but I will tell you. The United States' healthcare system, every single time they try to make it better, they make it worse. I, I was, I, go ahead. Henry. No, no, I, I wouldn't say the Canadian system is any different. It's just that it's the way the payment system is different, right? So we have universal healthcare, which basically means there's one single payer. But the way uh, it differentiates itself is basically you just have to wait for your care. You will get the care you need. You'll get urgent care immediately, just like anywhere in the world. Uh, but for elective care, it'll take time, but you'll still get your care. In the U.S., it's different, right? Uh, you could pay whatever you want, and you could get care whenever you want. That's a no. Would that that were true? Really? Would Would that that were true? Uh, about three days ago, I was walking my dogs along the canal, um, and I was uh, training. You know, I'm training for a. Uh, five mile, five K, not race. What should I call it? Just a marathon or a walk. A walk. Yeah, okay. right. But it, it's sort of organized walk. 
and and um, I had the dogs with me. It was six o'clock in the morning, and two people came up behind me on a bike. Mm-hmm. And there are we have to share the canal bank with the bikes, so that's fine. The bikers usually know the rules, and they come up on the left and they announce when they're coming on your left. Right. Well, these people didn't announce anything. Oh, however, no. however, I kind of knew, you know, that I kind of assumed yeah. that they were coming on my left, so I moved to my right. Well, they then moved to their right, came up behind me, and knocked me down oh, on no. the concrete. And there I was, sitting on the concrete, and they were um, moving to uh, to go to get on their bikes and move on. Oh, wow. And another person came up to me and said, are you all right? Well, I, you know, I was sitting on the pavement with two dogs right. around me. How could I have been all right, right? Did you so, did you uh, break anything? Did you injure tr- any? Well, that bruising? was the point. So, so these, these people, the the other woman that stopped by got me up, and got me on my feet, and I went home. And I yes, I felt as though. Um, my pelvis had been shoved up into into my throat. Oh no! Because I fell down hard on my um, coccyx on my butt. Yeah. Co- Sorry. <laughs> the coccyx. The yes. The, well, it, I'm trying to think if that's right. It's, I might have fallen on my coccyx and it moved. That's a tailbone, basically. Yes, yeah. I know, but I'm yeah. trying to figure out because that's not where it hurts. Okay. I'm trying to figure out where. How where it hurts, you know, uh, influences um, where it hurts helps, you know, is related to where it's actually injured. Anyway, so I went home and called my doctor, yeah. and my doctor did not. I have a primary care doctor, and I pay uh, extra money for quote, concierge care, which means that I get, you know, I get a 24-hour service, I get um, email, I get phone, I get remote visits, I get all kinds of things like that. So I decided that I was, that I would just want a video visit. So just so that I could talk to somebody and make sure I wasn't really hurt. Mm -hmm. So the video, the video visit person took my own doctor had no openings that day and in order to get an opening i would have had to drive 20 to 30 miles and i was like no i'm just not going to do that so i finally got a video visit and the video visit person said oh you know i think you should get you get yourself to um get yourself an x-ray and so maybe you should be going to the emergency room and i'm like nope i'm not not going to the emergency room that's a quick answer but yeah so then my next thing was his next thing was well um i could give you an appointment tomorrow but i i would rather that you went to urgent care yeah so i went to urgent care 
I made an appointment and I went to urgent care and urgent care uh, does not x-ray extremities. One thing, did you, the most important question is, have they asked you about, did you hit your head? No, I didn't hit my head. Okay. So you just landed on your bum, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I was, I tried desperately to catch myself, but I didn't. So there I was on my way you know, figuring out that I could not get urgent care to do an x-ray. And urgent care said, if you feel worse, uh, just take yourself to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. So I went home and I did nothing. And the next day- You're the hot potato here, okay, go ahead. Yes, I am the hot potato. So the next day I was way more sore. So I called up my primary care doctor again and she gave me a referral to go have an x-ray so i went and had the x-ray this is two days later typically don't show anything but okay go ahead well yeah that's exactly right it didn't show anything but wait i didn't get the results for another day after that Mm -hmm. and in other words let's let let's not this is a pretty boring story now that i think about it and rather than make it longer no but you're you're the patient at this point right you start the story right i'm the, i am yes your exactly. voice is important <laughs> my voice is important right but it, and everybody you know everybody know knew that i had a voice but nobody had the bandwidth to help me and everybody just wanted to send me somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And even when I had an x-ray, even though the person from my primary care practice wrote stat on the x-ray so that we would get the right. results, um, back faster. results back faster, I did not get the results back till the next day. Right. So this, this was like the accident was on Monday. This is now Wednesday. I have already been taking a leave and I'm, I've already kind of figured out that maybe it isn't broken. But I guess my question, you know, to you, Heyman, and mm-hmm. to everybody else on stage is everyone was trying to help me. Nobody was not taking me seriously. Nobody was doing anything that was, you know, particularly bad. But the system is so overloaded that it can't take care of people on a timely basis. And some things like falls probably should be addressed on a timely basis. Yeah, falls. I was I was a director of the Falls Prevention Clinic at, in Toronto during my fellowship. But that's another story. But I think one question, though, I think, first of all, are you okay right now? Are you doing better or are you? I am doing better. Okay. I am doing better because what alternative do I have? But Well, no, you do have alternatives. It's just that I'm, I just want to make sure, like in terms of urgency, like this is the first yeah, time no, I'm hearing I'm it. A, I wish you'd I'm call, a, but yeah. I'm, I'm not, I started to call you. It, I, it, it's not urgent. Okay. It's like. But I think what, it's urgent to you. Right. As a patient, yes. it's important to you because it's taken time away from your life. You want to live your life. You had. Well, an injury. I, know, I just want to know what to do. Right. I'll do anything that I'm, you know, that I'm told to do within reason. Right. Um, you don't want to be patient for this. You right. just want to get it done. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. And but and my main point here is 
I pay extra right. for getting That's why I was surprised with the first one when they had didn't have an appointment. When you have concierge service, they should be 24-7 beck and call, right? That's if what I, I thought. Was, if That's I what was I thought. willing to drive to one of their other offices, you know, 40 miles away. But they could have done uh, video also. That's attrition, right? So it basically means that they didn't want you to do it. <laughs> they, like... Do you know what I mean? Like that's 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 a technique that uh, some people who have, um, like there was a uh, not all doctors do this. Only a few uh, bad lot. What they do is they have the certain fee system structure where you get a set lump fee for a patient for a year. Right. Yeah, and they're supposed to be made available. What I I know, but that is what I do not have. And the reason that I don't have that is that that is called Medicare Advantage mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm going to let Aisha talk and, oh, yeah. and Joyce talk in a minute. But, Welcome. But Medicare Advantage um, is a plan where they capitate you. Yeah. Cap- capitating means they give a lump sum of money to either your physician or network. you know, or, or your network. That's right. And that lump sum of money takes care of you, and you are not. You know, you are. Your physician is incentivized not to let you exceed that lump sum, or at so least do the preventative you, care that'll uh, limit the amount of more expensive care that may be needed during that exactly, year. Exactly. Exactly. So, so incentives being what they are, you know. It does. Medicare does pay for, um, let's call it fall prevention, because they pay for the gym. Right. You know, diabetes management, blood pressure management. And I take advantage. I I take advantage of all of that. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, if somebody comes up behind me on a bike on the right and bangs into me, I'm gonna fall. It's yeah. just if yeah. if you were thirty, you would have fallen. I'm glad you're okay. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering, like, what are the other people's thoughts? I mean, Joyce had a room, I think, this Monday, just on the fee structures and so forth. Aisha, you were next. Sorry, did you want to chime in? Sure, sure. Uh, first of all, Dr. Francine, I'm so sorry to hear of your uh, your injury, and I hope that you heal smoothly and as quickly as necessary for your body um i'm always i'm always very hesitant to say get well soon um because it it may take time um yeah because when you're 81 soon is a very relative term exactly it's well when you're 38 it's also very relative (laughs) 38 and medically fragile with a very um extensive medical history such as myself I didn't join at the very beginning of the room, but I assume if we're kind of resetting the room, just that we're sharing a little bit about a, a, an experience that we've had. Yes, exactly what we're okay. doing. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Um, uh, you know, there are two things to share. Firstly, Dr. Francine, I can relate to um, what you shared about uh, kind of the concierge service. I also have a concierge physician and I've had excellent experiences and I've always been able to get through really quickly. I felt, I actually fell a, a few weeks ago and, you know, they were able to, to kind of take a look at my injuries, you know, virtually and tell me if there was any reason to be concerned and those sorts of things. And it was great. Um, you know, and I'm able to use um, some set aside funds through my workplace to cover the membership cost for that. Um, 
otherwise, you know, it's quite possible it would have there would have been delays in getting into you know a primary care physician. Um, but it's also interesting. So I have kind of two two notes. So one is that you know my mother takes advantage of a um, of a program called Heal, and they are they make house calls um, like so many doctors did some time ago. Um, and initially when we first, you know, onboarded with them, it was fantastic. And, you know, uh, their primary care physicians, their, you know, um, their, uh, oh goodness, I'm losing the acronyms. I'm kind of swimming in alphabet soup here as I'm working and multitasking, but the, their uh, nurse. You mean what, there, what you know. HEAL stands for? Well, no, no, no. They're they're nurse. I was thinking of NP, uh, nurse practitioner. They're nurse practitioners and they're physicians who make house calls. One of the problems is that they are um, there's a backlog that is so long. So if you're dealing with an acute issue and you're homebound, like my mother is, it is very, very challenging. But it's you know one of the reasons that we take advantage of this service, which is of no charge to either of my parents is so that, you know, we're limiting my mother's exposure to COVID and, you know, we're, we're limiting fall risks and things like that, trying to transport her from home, you know, to a, to a, a medical facility. Um, but there is definitely um, a shortened, or I should say, a, they are short staffed now at this point, and I'm not sure what happened, but I, well, I have an idea what happened. I think they were overworking their staff and folks who initially were really enthusiastic about, you know, trying this model burned out and said, oh my goodness, this is just too much. They're running us all over the place. They're not really taking into consideration travel time between homes. Um, you know, they're not making a, a schedule that's geographically sensical. Um, and so with a fewer number of providers, you know, if my mother has a UTI, for example, well, scheduling something three weeks out is of no advantage to us. And so right. that's been something that's really been interesting to witness. Sorry, they um, actually for a UTI, mm -hmm. sorry, urinary tract infection for those, uh, the acronym. Yes. Now, you to schedule a week in the head for that? <laughs> no, well, for, no, oh. it's just like boom, boom. For oh, wow. yes, for a house call. So, okay, got it. Um, where we previously, when we first started with the service, you know, we could, the next day, we could schedule someone to come out. And that was great. But um, as time has gone on, and they've changed their model a bit, um, and they've made it exclusively primary care, that's limited the number of providers that have been available. And so now, you know, we're, it's, it, you know, it makes it considerably challenging. And we have to kind of, you know, weigh our pros and cons of, of going to an urgent care and, and the like. Um, and also, because my mother receives Medicaid, and because she's always, she's made considerably less than my father in terms of income, she's not able to, um, you know, her, her former primary care physicians and specialists all dropped her. Um, they no longer accept, um, accept patients who are using Medicaid, which is a, you know, essentially income-based um, form of health insurance. And so that's been something that's been what, what tragic. What state are you in, Aisha? We are in Georgia. So that, that should tell oh, you see, everything you need uh, to know. <laughs> yeah, Arizona is very different about Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Everyone 
our Medicaid is called Access, and it stands okay. for Arizona Cost Containment, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't, okay. I don't know what all the acronyms sure, are. But, sure. but our Access program is very well received by doctors because they pay within 30 days. And just like Medicare mm. does, and almost nobody else. Here's a secret for everyone in the room: almost nobody else pays doctors within 30 days. And so the reason that a lot of doctors are willing to do what's known as accept assignment, which is take any money that Medicare is willing to give them, is because. Uh, <laughs> It is because they at least get it on time, and that's very, mm-hmm. that's helpful. Yes, unfortunately, that's not the, that's not been the the uh, provider experience here in Georgia. You know what they've been seeing is that there've been just woeful delays in receiving payment, and so um, it's you know shortly after my mother switched um, insurance providers for her Medicaid Medicare Advantage um, plan almost the same week um, we found out that providers, although they were still listed on the website, no longer accepted that form of insurance. But it's very, also very interesting to me kind of on this, this idea of insurance and sort of this stigma of the insured versus the uninsured. Um, I uh, actually had a a mental health crisis and I did not feel safe. Uh, Didn't we all? Right. And I, exactly, exactly. And, you know, and so what I did, you know, I felt and, you know, I consulted with my, my father and we both felt that, you know, it might be the best thing for me to do to, you know, go to the emergency department. And um, unfortunately, despite having handed them my insurance card um, and my ID and, and, and all of the necessary things, um, somehow it was marked that I was uninsured. And, when I tell you the experience that I had was so dehumanizing because I was viewed as uninsured or because I, you know, was, um, it was indicated that I did not have insurance, whether or not I actually had insurance was not point. Um, I was sequestered uh, in addition to the fact that we have a tremendous stigma, even in the healthcare system against mental illness, um, you know, add that add to that, you know, an assumption about someone's class, someone's income, um, you know, and then I add my, my race, I, an African-American woman, you know, all of these, these things that um, kind of really intersected to make a really horrifying. You got the trifecta. I really yeah. do. And I, it was a horrifying experience. I mean, profanities were used. The, um, the area where I was held, for lack of a better way to, to term it, was unclean there were roaches in the bathroom um it was just abhorrent and thankfully i was not so ill to the point where i was unable to ask questions about because i had not been seen hours had gone by i had not been seen by a physician um and so i finally just asked you know if if a doctor was going to come to see me and you know what they and they explained to me they said well since you're uninsured they're going to be moving you to a state hospital um and this was without any uh analysis at all no assessment um but they just determined that they were going to relocate me um and i that's when i became indignant and i said firstly i am insured um you have all of the evidence that you need right there um but but moreover 
you know, I'm speaking on behalf of all of the other patients who are here who are uninsured. They've been treated so terribly and so inhumanely, um, you know, just, I, I was really disgusted. Um, and so it's definitely something that I, I advocate for, for change around now because it's just something that um, it, it certainly just should not be that way. But when I, when they discovered that I had insurance and they found my cards and, you know, suddenly things just dramatically changed and I was treated with respect. I was called mm. ma'am. Um, and it was really a very That tragic. is so disgusting, yeah. Aisha. Yeah. That, yeah. Is, yeah. that is completely disgusting. I mean, imagine but if you had I, a head injury and you showed up like, uh, like a little bit yeah, groggy yeah. and uh, couldn't advocate oh, yeah. for yourself. Well, I don't exactly. believe I yeah, don't sad. believe that anyone should show up anymore without an advocate. Yeah. Exactly. Or at least some information. I always advocate for people to carry information in their in their belongings about who they are, what medical issues they have, and yes. even the phones now allow you to do that, right? To have a health record. Sorry, uh, there's yes. Joyce and uh, Brady on the call inside as well. So, yeah, let's get to Joyce. I'm. And sorry, Aisha, to hear of the journey you've had so far. But, oh, I I just want to give Aisha one more piece of advice. Uh, During the next Medicare open enrollment, get your mom out of uh, Medicare Advantage because those are the capitated plans, meaning the plans that that put uh, a number on your mother's head and say that the only things she can do are the things that fit under that number. And also, she can't go to any doctor she wants either. So it's best to be on general Medicare. And everybody is pushing Medicare Advantage. But trust me, as a patient, you don't want Medicare Advantage. You want plain old vanilla Medicare. That's helpful. Thank you, Dr. Franzine. Found that out the hard way. Joyce. (laughs) Yeah, hi. Everyone, I'm good. Uh, well, I could tell a lot of stories, but I will just make a point about the Medicaid um, in California. Um, I was on Medicaid for a long time when I was sick, and for a long time, I didn't even use it because you just couldn't find a doctor. But then they started these um, Medicaid HMOs, or I guess HMOs that included Medicaid. And then I actually could find a doctor. So it, it was much better, um, but and it worked out all right. But anyway, I don't know if you want me to tell you any anything about my my other patient journey, because I mean, I could I could tell it really quick or I could go. No, by all by all means, I want to hear patient journeys because we I, you know, I, every once in a while I go on a tear. And when when I went to this when I was asked to moderate this voice of the patient panel, and I realized what the uh, journeys of so many patients actually are and how, how difficult, um, I decided I was going to go take a deep dive into this topic. Okay, well, um, I, I have the story of uh, the chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, and irritable bowel syndrome patient who, uh, you know, and I started out with chronic fatigue syndrome before it was, they coined that term. And that term is something that's been complained about for a long time because 
people don't understand it. You know, they think it's just like being tired, like everybody else, just from working, you know, and that if you rested a bit, then you would be over it. And it's not like that. <laughs> and then some people are very debilitated and, and I was pretty debilitated. I was bedridden. I, I became like 40 pounds underweight. And, and so anyway, it was very poorly understood. And I mean, a lot of it is, I think it's still poorly understood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and people are still struggling with the long COVID. Especially people. because it is something that affects way more women than men. Yeah. And women in medicine are still poorly understood. Yeah, there, there is that whole thing, too. Um, I, I guess over the years, I basically ended up just deciding to, um, you know, I used the mainstream doctor for the regular checkups, you know, when I got one because of that HMO for Medicaid. And then for my, um, you know, for actual things that might help me, um, I was fortunate that my parents could pay for things, you know, going to integrative medicine and, you know, just finding out what doctors were finding helpful and trying different things. So, so I went many years of just um, trying things that, that the different patient support groups were saying, you know, this looks promising, you know, and I go, Oh, well, I got to try something, you know, because it just looked like there was just not any research or hardly any research being done on it. And it was just kind of symptom control sort of things. Um, and, you know, and so through that, I did, did get better, but I did have experiences of going to, you know, kind of a mainstream doctor. I think one time I went to an endocrinologist because someone told me that he had a different view of thyroid disorders and that, that maybe other doctors would have missed. But then I, it turned out when I went to him, he really wasn't any different from anybody else. And, and he basically just told me he thought I should go to a psychiatrist <laughs> And and I I started crying because I had actually flown across the country to come see him, you know, and uh, that was quite discouraging. And that's how that that is a lot of how women are treated by the healthcare system, and it just is it is unbelievable. And women of color, Aisha, the statistics. I'm sure you know the statistics, but the statistics are overwhelming. It's, it is awful. Most definitely. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll get to the good part of it, which was that uh, basically when I got so uh, I had a downturn actually right around menopause, might may have been caused by menopause. And then I was just reacting to everything much worse and I couldn't tolerate the approaches that had been helping me some. And so I figured out, I, I, I decided I had to try to see what I could figure out about these reactions. And being a, a scientist and into data, and I built upon some research on using the heart rate to detect reactions. And I just did experiments after experiments for 14 years. <laughs> and I'm still learning more things, but a couple of years ago, I decided I learned, had learned enough that I should start a company and try to see if I could get the research going um, and to take what I learned and, and kind of try to fit it into the research of other people and see, you know, to what extent we could help um, people with the various conditions that are unexplained at, at the current moment and that resemble long COVID and uh, fibromyalgia, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome, and so on. 
And, and I've been learning more and more, and it makes me more and more positive and excited about the potential. But it's, it's very innovative. It's not something people are at all used to, at least in the mainstream medicine. So, you know, I don't know how challenging it will be, but it's a big, a, a good time to be doing it, I think, because of the wearables and the appreciation of personalized data and stuff. Yeah. So I agree. And I, I tried very hard to help you out, but I couldn't get my Google Watch to work with your app. Oh, I'm okay. sorry, my Apple Watch to work okay. with your app. I wrote yeah. you a couple of messages about that because yeah, I yeah. want. Well, I'll, I tell want you, to... I'll tell you, if you want to know, I have recently figured out that you can do this kind of testing without any kind of fitness tracker if you want to. Uh, because uh, I, I mean, different apps are different and some are better than others. But experimenting with it, I found one called Heart Rate Plus. That's the, a free app, although so if you, you pay $2, dollars you, you can avoid all, you can avo avoid the ads if you pay $3 for it. But anyway, um, and you can do it and test for food reactions or f heart rate reactions to foods just using your cell phone camera. So, well, that is interesting because, you know, a lot of people um, who have long COVID have heart rate reactions that can't be described. Rapid heart rate, irregular heart rate, all kinds of things. And if they, they could figure out the relationship of some of this to foods. And if, the thing is, there's so much we don't know in medicine. And when you get to something that the healthcare system doesn't know, um, they're not very forthcoming about that. They try to put it back on you. And that's especially true of women. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Heyman, vis-a-vis mm -hmm. -vis Canada, someone in my back channel um, just texted that Canada is so short resources in healthcare that they have told people to Google before they go to the doctor. Uh, well, I mean, the, we are every. I think short in resources, as in manpower and uh, resources, is true around the world, right? So that's not an issue for Canada only. But um, we do have a triage system. But Doctor Google's not. Well, it's a good way. It's, I always advocate for. Does the triage out. system begin with Google? No, 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 no. There's uh, there's call in numbers you could call. There's a twenty four hour seven nursing line that you call and they'll basically let you know if you should go into the hospital to see your family doctor or not um so there's there are other options too but google is not anything bad but it's the problem is, is you could go down a rabbit hole right with google you could uh, consider yourself to have something really dramatic just like any genetic report right sending a genetic report to a patient and not giving them advice is the worst thing you could do to them you could send them off on some uh really bad tangent or even miss something Right. So I think it's fine. I don't mind Google. I mean, please. I mean, you I always encourage people to be more active in their own healthcare, right? to understand the terms, to understand what's going on. Um, I, hey, I fix my car using YouTube and Google, right? Old cars. So it's definitely uh, it's advisable. I wouldn't say it's a formal advice that they're giving out. I don't think any institution would be giving out formal advice. Go check Dr. Google. But I think. I think it's accepted that people do check Google. By the way, Brady has been waiting on the call inside. Oh, sorry, yeah. Brady. Sorry, Brady. Brady, are you there? Still? <laughs> no worries. I, 
totally yeah. cool. And hi, uh, Jenny, on the call-in side as well. I've got plenty of examples from throughout my life. I mean, I'm a fantastic example. A lot of people think I'm a doctor, but I'm just a total bum. You know, I dropped out of college, like, um, second semester. <laughs> they started dosing me up on Adderall when I was seven years old. Gave me a very arbitrary test where I was presented a series of numbers and letters. Mm-hmm. And every time I saw the letter X, I was supposed to hit the space bar, right? Attention, attention test. Yeah. So, you know, aced it, totally nailed it, of course. Um, and I don't know, something about the way I nailed it wasn't right. You know, maybe I fidgeted, maybe my leg was bouncing, maybe I was hyper-focused. I don't even remember what exactly the diagnosis was or like what it was. You know, my mom wasn't paying well enough attention herself to really understand or know what's going on. So they started me off on Silert. Silert didn't work very well. Um, we tried so Ritalin. Just for clarification, I mean, this, sorry, do you mind if we talk about it openly here? Not at all. Yeah. I'm okay. total open so, I mean, I'm presuming that you were diagnosed with ADD, right? Or attention. ADHD. Or yeah, ADD. Well, let's start with what's Silert. So it wasn't the hyperactive ADD, even though I'm a super hyperactive dude. Like, <laughs> um, for whatever reason, I wasn't diagnosed with the hyperactive. I just got the regular ADD. So, and, yeah, so and Silert is Premelin. Premelin. It's a. Uh, it's also a, for ADHD. It's used in the ADHD treatment. Interesting. Stimulant. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, you know, Silert didn't work. Ritalin worked a little better, not much. So they, bam, put me on Adderall. And uh, Adderall, I guess, like, I don't know, did what it was supposed to. Got me doing my homework again, you know. And, uh, but, the you know, my homework, my grades got a little bit better here, you know, and then they kind of level off again. I'd adjust to it. And sooner or later, I'd lose interest in school again. And, um, you know, they dosed me up some more. So that by the time I was sophomore year high school, um, I was taking 60 milligrams slow release in the morning, the big uh, orange football pills, okay. and then uh, 60 milligrams slow release at lunch. So that's like all my waking hours, complete, apparently pretty lit on uh, Adderall. And uh, there was one time in my high school... Um, one time throughout my entire, uh, prescription that I actually abused it. And it was during like the standardized testing. He <laughs> was like, I had a hard time with the standardized testing, like the writing portion. And I was like, all right, I want to get, I'm going to go through it and have the rest of the data myself, you know? So I don't know if I doubled my dose. It took one and a half, but, um, I think I doubled my dose <laughs> and I flew through the standardized test, uh, knocked it out of the park and spent the rest of the day, uh, figuring out how echolocation worked, (laughs) like through the mindset of a dolphin and a pet. Like it was, it was wild, dude. How has this impacted your sort of like your daily life and health journey? I mean, throughout the course, I mean, terrible. Oh my God. Yeah. Also, could I just, of course, um, Io has his hand up and I can't get him up. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll work on that. Well, you you try. I've already tried. Yeah, so some of the negative side effects were that I slowly became an insomniac. I'd never had a hard time sleeping as a kid. I was a little mathematical genius. You know, I would just sit there and have dreams of equations and geometrical patterns and stuff like that. My mental math skills were off the charts. 
I would fly through math and then they would say, oh, well, you didn't show your work. And I'd be like, did you see how fast I knocked that out? Like, <laughs> like did you not, did you not, this is my work. Look, everyone else is still working on it. Like I'm done, <laughs> like, you know, like, so that was my thing. And like, uh, but anyway, Adderall put a damper on that. I also had synesthesia. I would associate colors and numbers and then uh, different emotions to colors and numbers. And so it was really interesting. So who did you actually speak to about it? Oh, by the way, Eric, you should try going out and in again. Um, and I'll, we'll try definitely to get you up there or come in through the, the other back door and I could connect you here. Sorry, I'm speaking to Eric on the clubhouse side. No, that's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, so no I'm just in terms of the uh, like the, your voice. I mean, I guess at this stage you were actually somewhat benefiting from all this. From were all there this. any draw? Not really? I mean, only in it was like having a strong cup of coffee, which is nice when you're doing some boring shit, you know. Um, but well, I would have rather had a nice strong. Cup are of you? In class are you addicted? Day. Are you addicted to it? Can you stop? Right now, I'm addicted to cigarettes. Right now, I have a nicotine addiction that I suffer from, and that's about it. Uh, I quit taking Adderall on my own accord sophomore year um, without any help or encouragement from my parents, teachers, counselors, doctors, friends. You know, everyone in my life was telling me, oh, no, you need this. Oh, this is like, oh, I hate to imagine what you're going to be like without it. Oh, God, you know, all the bullshit. And fucking quit taking it, started surfing. My inner child like came back to life. I had completely lost my personality. I didn't even get into like the negative side effects where I slowly became an insomniac. I mentioned before that I'd never had a hard time sleeping. I was always a very good sleeper. Um, Adderall totally threw a wrench into that situation. Absolutely, you know, fucked up my circadian rhythm. I was up every single night um, till 2 a.m. Um, watching taxi on nick at night and now, first of all you had good health care right i mean you had right? to support yeah, your parents you had health care doctors yeah so if you didn't i'm just curious like francine imagine if uh there was a bradley out there who needed the medications or anything like remember there's a lot of psychiatric issues too where you need to be on a certain regimen and if you go off it then your whole but, life sometimes comes apart this is this is uh this you oh actually, yeah right like, when i turned 26 for example like and i fell off my parents health insurance if i was still addicted to adderall at that point and taking it regularly and then i was suddenly without it no doubt i would be turning to cocaine meth you know whatever other kind of stimulants are out there you know or, or just use you know purchasing it off the block well, that's nice and that's nice and scary <laughs> It's true. Yeah, that, that's, it's it happens. It explains exactly what happened to my generation. It explains why so many beautiful young children that I went to school with, full of potential, are now psychological dumpster fires um, with children. You know, like it's a disaster. It is a psychological disaster out here. I was lucky enough to pull myself out of the fucking shit when i was 17 years old you know on my own accord. how old are you now 36. oh so you're a millennial right exactly all the millennials yeah. are on adderall it's just unbelievable. Uh, a lot of the millennials are on cocaine and methamphetamines um and whatever other kind of stimulants they can get their hands on 
you know, way too much coffee is another thing, you know, um, the way the Americans consume coffee is fucking insane. Um, I worked for Starbucks for a year or so, and I, you know, I understand what caffeine is now. And when I make coffee for myself at home, I use anywhere from like three to 10 beans, depending on how strong I want it in one cup of coffee. You know, we're talking three to 10 individual coffee beans ground yeah, up. Well, you, brought, you brought up something important though, already. Like if, like there's one thing about management of patients, right? So, I mean, getting a diagnosis and let's say you have a, a treatment plan. Now, affording those medications is a whole other story. Like Adderall is not cheap. I'm talking about this is a side. Uh, what about the other ones, the diabetes medications, the the ones that actually insulin, yeah. yes, uh, insulin, and also what about the blood pressure medications, the chronic diseases out there, and uh, if you can't afford those, insurance doesn't cover things like water ionizers, things that treat people's water that they're drinking, which can actually, I mean, on a cost benefit analysis, you know, potentially do well, way like, more. Benefit. Yeah, and oh, but even like the, the 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 if you think about the basic insulin and basic drugs, and you can't get those like off. Well, this is going to be a, that's right. This is going to be a very interesting year, Heyman, because of the in, inflation is making it very difficult for ordinary people, among whom I count myself, you know, to survive. Right. And at some point, you look at your list of medications and think. What can I do without? Right. And imagine the medic the food right now, right? People are deciding whether to miss meals, some of them, because of the rise in inflation. That's what the reports have been. Imagine if now they had to choose between medications and food. We are looking at a well, fucking uh, sorry, fire. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry yeah, my language. Yeah. I'm just like terrified. I'm just like, oh my God, this is like the purge situation we're looking at. All these oh, people God. coming off Klonopin, you know, coming off Adderall is unimaginably hard. Uh, for someone without a good support system like I had, you know, um, I can only imagine what some people are facing if they're suddenly not able to afford their Klonopin, you know. Oof. What is Klonopin? Oh, boy. Yeah. So, the, we, so I, inflation. I was given that for sleep. Sorry, sorry. Anti-seizure medication. Sorry. Yeah, I was yeah. given that for yeah. sleep for a long, long time. And luckily, I kept it at a really low dose and I didn't have a problem getting off of it. Mm. Yeah, I'll just say that um, some of the other symptoms I had, you know, I had insomnia. And so I would, as a young man, I, w I would stop eating. It killed my appetite. So I was unforgivably skinny on the borderline anorexic, you know, now, and, um, and that's... not sleeping on top of that. So I would hear people, voices of people I knew and people I didn't know saying my name throughout the day. I would see shadow people, yeah. uh, visual hallucinations of like yeah. shadows of people moving in my periphery. It's... And that's effects. when I decided to, that it was when I saw those symptoms start popping up. I that's when I told myself something has to change, you know, Side and effects, at that yeah. point, the doctor was actually prescribing two prescriptions at a time. He wrote he was legally not allowed to prescribe that much Adderall on one prescription. So he wrote two prescriptions at once. And that was how I was able to get the two uh, time release. So uh, throughout the day. Thanks, Brady, yeah. for all that. Um, and sorry. Francine? Well, I, this is very scary. I mean, I, I find that very frightening because, you know, because I just do. I mean, we're, we're over prescribing, we're under prescribing. And we're not even, unfortunately, some patients cannot even afford to take the medications, right? So the, the, right. there's and, a 
And Jenny, sorry, on the call inside just joined us as well. Jenny. Well, let's get a, an Andrea to on mic. She on mic. So oh, okay. Sorry, her. Andrea and then Jenny. And then Jenny. Thanks, uh, Francine and Heyman. I just wanted to say, and there's also, I can say from having lived abroad half my life and continuing healthcare uh, in America, but also comparing to other places, what I have found in getting healthcare now in the four years that I've been back in the United States has been what feels like a trend of, you know, people don't want to, there, there's more like a, it, it's less towards preventative care, even though there are, you know, annual checkups and um, preventative screenings, but, you know, there's, um, I find that people want to get you on to long-term prescriptions for things very quickly. I feel like the, the approaches are, you know, they, you have to really drill down often. And I, I go to I, excellent doctors and in a good system in New York city, but uh, I find that they, they're very quickly into the, like the drug, the long-term treatment and less on preventative and, and they want to move you into that kind of long-term you know, oversight qu pretty quickly. And I think it's also because of the financial structures in our system here uh, and also the relationships with the insurance companies. And, but it's also the standard uh, of education too, right? Because technically, if you, we, in a traditional allopathic way, we always look for what are the underlying causes that led to this person to be there? Is there a disease or is there an underlying problem? And then you manage it, right? And so there's also the other recommendations that are often given, but oftentimes you also want to temporize things. You want to manage the person. And sometimes I guess that, that communication is key, Andrea. I think you're right. I mean, the communication is what's missed. But sometimes allowing that dialogue to happen. Can I, doctor, you know what, if I, can I reduce my pressure medication? I've seen that quite a lot. Patients get put on, especially in the seniors, they get put on these blood pressure medications and also, they're not given the education. That would be me. Right. And they're that, not would, the that would education. be me. And you need to get the education about when you exercise, you could probably, the blood pressure will go down, right? And if you keep a good, consistent exercise, we could adjust this medication so we could even maybe bring down your medication. Same thing with diabetes. And, no, you know what, my Heyman, I think this kind I of patient, patient education and the um, agency to advocate for yourself yeah. is, yeah, something that's needed i mean i'm sure it changed with webmd and stuff like that no. to be actually a nightmare for some doctors but you know i bet what i mean is probably there's a larger group of people who need access to that type of information we don't incentivize and, uh, it we don't incentivize that actually the uh, preventative well, I, I think it's a two-track uh there's a two-track thing going on there's people like me who read everything and you know try everything and i've been t asking my uh, my doctor to reduce my blood pressure medication for years because I've been vegan for 12 years. My cholesterol is down to practically nothing, you know, and I, also I'm older. And it so all depends on your numbers too, right? You have to, as right. long as your system's running well and you, as long as you're within yeah, the but, range, but, it's reasonable. You no, know, but Heyman, my system is running very well. But when I say to him, um, well, why don't we go off this medication? He's like, what do you mean? It's working. Don't go off it. You know, it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
which is reasonable advice, but it's just, I think it, you know best. I think the key thing is always to have a bigger picture, not the blood pressure that you take at the office, right? And that's why I think biometrics and getting those wearables on people's hands and even educating people to take your blood pressure several times a day and keep a log is huge. It's a great benefit for the doctors, actually, honestly. Like if you look at that, like the longitudinal picture, it allows for blood pressure medications or adjustments to be made and even recommendations to be made about why. No, that depends on the patient, Heyman. Right. That totally depends on the patient. And because... physicians too, and, and the providers too. Because the I, was taking, be I was taking my blood pressure because my physician told me to, and I finally got so anxious at home about oh, taking no. my blood pressure oh, no. that my blood pressure was higher at home than it was in the office. Well, I, I and I would be more. like, later about the different types of blood pressure readings. I mean, you there's a better way to do it um, that you have to, you can't do one reading at one sitting. You need to, should do it. I don't, I yeah. do three. Perfect. But it, I mean, my point is that I was so focused on my blood pressure that right. I was making it higher. Right. Cause you can, you can make it higher. Yep. So it, these are all pretty complicated things and it, it involves as you say, education, yes. where the patient needs to be educated on what ha what is happening in the body and why. And because we see doctors for 12 minutes, right. you know, they can't give us that kind of education. And they're playing on the side of safety versus, you know, uh, the long-term functioning, right? And that's, they're relying on you, right? The interpreter, you are the interpreter of your own body to let them know what's going on. And that happens, but it may could happen much better. And Jenny actually has a, quite a lot of experience, I think. Jenny, did you want to chime in? Yeah, I just wanted to caution people about going off psychiatric meds all of a sudden. If you do it cold yeah. turkey, you can have what's called a rebound psychosis. And so whenever you're coming off those meds, you need to do it with your doctor's supervision because you don't want another psychiatric event to put you back in the hospital, believe me. Um, I had a nervous breakdown after the birth of my first baby in 1989 and ended up interfacing with 11 different psychiatrists over the next year after that. They put me on a real cocktail of drugs. And that year I just spent laying on my couch, kind of strung out on drugs, watching television. And at the end of the year, I didn't feel any better. I felt worse. So I started looking for alternatives and I began by working with a psychiatrist that I had to go looking for, a woman who was willing to help me wean off of all of the meds. And so one by one, we just stopped them all. But it took like six months to get off everything. And I was only on for a total of 14 months, all of these drugs. And after that, I just started working with alternative doctors. There's a group of doctors called orthomolecular doctors who use nutrition to treat mental illness. And I found one of these guys in Ohio where we were living at the time. He had a wait list of like six months because there were so many patients who wanted to work with him, but he put me on B vitamins. Everybody who's mentally ill struggles with the B vitamin deficiency. And he kind of just pointed me in the right direction. And then we moved out to Colorado, which is kind of a Mecca for alternative healers out here in Boulder, Colorado. And I found all, right. of, these, all of these healers, herbalists, chiropractors, various people who were able to help me over the years with various things. And when I really started to do well mentally is when I realized that I could nourish my brain with good nutrition, flaxseed oil, whole grains containing every element that you need 
to make your brain function better. And I bought a grain mill and started grinding every day fresh grains and eating them sprouted and soaked and uh, sourdough. And, and once I really kind of grabbed hold of my physical health, it had this tremendous impact on my mental health. And so I was able to have four more kids without any more. I had a full-blown psychosis after the first, my first baby. But I never had a break with reality after that. And um, I was really able to kind of like own my health. And for me, as someone who's been diagnosed with a serious mental illness, that was pure empowerment. And so that's just my story in a nutshell. I've written a book about it called A Mother's Journey. It's available on Amazon. It details all the things I did to kind of move from the world of psychiatry to the world of nutrition. And I did have several other psychiatric episodes, suicidal depression and other things. But even as those manifested in my life, I mostly just used the natural things to help me. And I was able to weather those storms without going back on all of the drugs. And I personally think the zombie apocalypse that everybody talks about is going to be mass numbers of people who are on psychiatric meds who are forced because of the economy or shipping issues mm. or whatever to immediately stop their drugs. And then all of a sudden we have all these people in deep psychosis because they can't get their meds. That's just wow. my personal take on it. That's that's an interesting picture. Because Jenny, I love where you've come, you know, with regard yeah. to nutrition. Um, I, I, I just think that's very important. Io, you finally got finally. up. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to share one thing that happened here in Canada at the start of the week, which is the craziest thing that I've ever heard, which is the, the I think it was on CP24, so Channel 24 here for people who use cable here in the uh, frozen north uh, of Can uh, We're in Canada. We're warm and nice here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, it's, it's still nice, yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Um, the government said, hey, uh, we're getting a lot of people coming to the ER for COVID, minor coughs and this stuff. So please just look up stuff before you come in. Okay, Google it. Use some common really? sense. Don't come in. And I was like, what the? Like, Who said that? That, that is, it, it was the um, one of the health representatives uh, okay. for the government for the pandemic. They were saying, oh, yeah, our system's overloaded. And I'm like, I never thought I would hear that from a health professional telling the general public to just Google stuff and use common sense because with medicine, everything is uncommon and nothing makes sense. It's all kind of basically arbitrary, right. even the chemistry. Like you couldn't know that this drug interacts with that or whatever unless you knew to look up for that, right? That's why these automated systems exist because they help prevent these errors. But now we're telling the public to do that. Hey, just help yourself. And I don't know how that's gonna work out, but it sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Well, uh, there, there are a number of websites that started during the beginning of what is now known as Health 2.0, which was a movement that started around Web 2.0 in about 2005. And the, the websites are called things like um, Patients Like Me and yeah. Diabetes Mine. And what they are is they are... Um, they are support groups yeah. for various groups of patients who couldn't get satisfactory diagnoses. But at any rate, I, I want to go, Heyman, do you mind going further into this topic for a while? Uh, today? With, or No, not, no, 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 no. no, I mean with the club in general. Of no, of course. I, mean, I think a lot of people have, uh, like there, we have a lot of experts among us too in the audience as well. 
who have right. Uh, uh, and I want to go into this. I want. I want to. And discuss it impacts this. all of us, right? It impacts all of us. It's our. It's our manual to our bodies. Right. I want. I want to talk about getting on and going off medications uh, in more detail. What? <laughs> I want. I want to hear more. Hold on. Hold on. Stories. Not okay. We, before I had to put a disclaimer after you finish that. Sorry. Go ahead. What's your disclaimer? No, no, no. The thing is, like medications, there's a role for medications, right? And medications are. Uh, there, there's evidence behind some of them, a lot of them actually. But the key thing is, it's the fit, right? You have to make sure that you are uh, under the right. Uh, first of all, you're first correctly diagnosed, right? And you are uh, basically getting the right results from the medication you were prescribed. If it's not working out, it then you should talk to your uh, provider and tell them what your problems are, what what you're worried about, what's happening. Now. You also, the provider should actually provide you. And also, don't forget, in the provider circle, your pharmacist is a great ally. They know more about medications than even the physicians. So, because that's what their expertise is. And you should never hesitate to even go and ask your pharmacist who dispensed your medication about the, the side effects you may be having or any concerns you have, too. And they could actually contact the physician faster for you in case of any complications, any problems. Um, so, definitely uh, make sure you. You consult your providers, pharmacists, physician, nurse, uh, uh, nurse consultants who are with the teams, because and also dietitians too. And because most medical conditions, you, for instance, diabetes, uh, blood pressure, have a di- diabetic component. Even psychiatric issues have a diabetic diet dietic component, right? So it is. We are also what we eat, like sh- salts, sugars, vitamins, minerals, right? This ma- and fats. Good fats are very important. And as I think Jenny mentioned it too, the flax seeds, the oils, they do matter, right? And it's just a matter of like the medication has a role. You might not need a medication, maybe if you got your health in order, if you get your diet in order, but don't ever uh, go cold turkey as uh, Jenny also mentioned, but any medication, first of all, because there's always a rebound effect too, even with blood pressure medications, heart medications. Um, So going off medications, unfortunately, uh, may, could work out for people, but it also could be dangerous. Uh, just letting you know, it's something that has to be done individually. It's not a blanket. Well, situation. I won't do it without telling you, Heyman. But... <laughs> okay. No, no, but I would still refer you to your provider because I don't know your full history. So I wouldn't, I I wouldn't even dare uh, give you any detailed advice. Unless in private, not recorded. <laughs> no, sorry. Right. I understand. Okay, folks, uh, we have to draw this room to a close, but thank you so much. I say it every week. I love you for devoting an hour of your attention to us and the Karma Club. And I'm going to put on my my, um, list of topics for the future, some of the topics that came up today so we can go deeper into them. And health education is high on my list. I know Dr. Keisha refused my invitation, or as Greg Sattel said, gave me the Heisman. I don't know what that means, but uh, that's what Greg Sattel would say. (laughs) Here comes Dr. Keisha. And also pay attention to your bodies. I think. Oh, no, look, I can't get Dr. Keisha up either. Okay. 
I think that that's the biggest advice I could give is like just listen to those creaks. I mean, the noise, like just in a car, right? You listen to all those creaks, the lights, everything else. Pay attention to your body. You you are your expert, right? And I think if you are worried about something, get it checked out, or if just get it explored further. Google is fine, right? And but if you're confused about it, don't solely rely on it. There's a lot of experts out there who you could consult to get more. Well, where we started today was. It's not that easy to get it checked out at this time where where health systems are hugely overwhelmed. It's access, and, yes. There's accessibility yes, issues. Exactly. Right there's but a there's... there's a huge accessibility issue. Biden may think the pandemic is over, but it isn't, you know, and and people are uh going to the doctor in droves. Dr. Keisha, I wanted to get you up. I sent you an invitation twice, but it looks like it isn't going to happen. And the room is over anyway. Uh, next week, I'm going to be um, traveling. I will be spending the day with my daughter. And, and um, so there will be no Karma Club meeting. But in two weeks, we'll be back with more um, voice of the patient types of uh, related inquiries. So thanks everybody for coming. I love you all. Thank you all. Join. Take care. Thank you. Yeah, and I see Eric is now part of.